God, yeah, I need it. Honestly, it's the uh, it's the pats that we can receive yeah. that will help us wait for the pats that we do deserve. I think <laughs> it's probably a saying. It's uh, probably, 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 or will be now. So, yeah, <laughs> welcome. <laughs> Hi, yes. guys. Welcome to. <laughs> Sorry, I just had a minute there where I had to look off into the distance. <laughs> this is Betsy Wishes, an art podcast. I'm Stephanie. And I'm Elena. <laughs> Welcome. Um, oh, man. It's fine, right? Right? Yeah. Right? Uh, ish. ish. <laughs> <laughs> it'll, it'll be fine. I hope so. My Let's whole hope. thing is that, like, I'm just excited that it's still summer. I understand that like we're we're proper moving into fall soon and and the heat is going to go away and hopefully yep. the mosquitoes with it but <laughs> I genuinely need like a ton of sunlight <laughs> to function. I am basically a sunflower. I know we're all complicated like we're all houseplants with complicated emotions, but I am genuinely a sunflower. Genuinely need community. And 4,000% need copious amounts of sunlight. I think if we're comparing each other or ourselves to plants, I would probably be some type of cactus. Yeah, but like a really cute one. Like the small ones, you know? The um, one I killed once. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I was going to say, like... <laughs> <laughs> How do you kill a cactus, you ask? I don't know. <laughs> I genuinely... I have no idea. Uh, that was not a fun time. I'm just sorry. I keep. <laughs> I got distracted for a second. I was going through my old photos to see if I had a picture of it. I do not. But I mm. wish I did. Yeah, I don't think I have one either. <laughs> Dead but not forgotten. Uh, R.I.P. to a legend. But speaking of R.I.P. to a legend. Yep. We are in for such a treat this episode. Yes, we are talking about a dead legend. <laughs> A literal dead legend, but one that lives on. <laughs> much like your succulent. Yeah. <laughs> much like much like your much like your cacti, this boy is shrouded in mystery 
and a bizarre <laughs> level of hostility, but is also near and dear to all of our hearts and our obnoxiously enlarged hands. <laughs> yeah, and over-sculpted bodies. God. Ladies and gentlemen, friends, enemies, lovers, welcome to our Michelangelo episode. Beep, 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 beep. Finally. <laughs> Finally, an episode about Michelangelo. Nice that he has his own music. I feel like of all the artists we have covered, of all the things we have talked about, the, the one who truly deserves a theme song was David Lynch and Michelangelo. I'm sure David Lynch would want to write his own. Yeah, I would I would never dare. I would never yeah. dare to compete. <laughs> yeah, but Michelangelo's dead, so he can do whatever. <laughs> I'm sorry, that was me. <laughs> but it's true. It's if, true. If, if being art historians have proved that anything to us, if they're dead, it's it's free it's free license. It's free real estate. It's truly. We we will we will set up our little beach towel and and umbrella <laughs> on this beach that is Michelangelo. <laughs> fun, fun image. <laughs> I just see it on like I have two I have two sp- spots envisioned. Right, mm-hmm. we could either be on the the soft curvature of David's pectoral muscle or on mm-hmm. his butt, and I will let you decide which. Um, I think butt would be more appropriate because it'll be like nice and soft. You know what I mean? It'll be a delight and an experience. <laughs> I think it's fantastic. Uh, my beach towel. We're professionals, you guys. <laughs> my beach towel is neon pink. Neon pink. Neon. Beautiful. Thank you. Thank you. <laughs> I want to go to the beach so badly. <laughs> <laughs> One day, probably next okay. year. <laughs> Fingers crossed. But uh, But Michelangelo, let's do this. Let's do this. So this boy, boy, (laughs) this boy was born in 1475. His whole name is Michelangelo di Lodovico Buonarroti Simoni. Brava. (laughs) A bit butchered, but yes. Uh, but everyone knows him as Michelangelo or Michelangelo Buonarroti. The other names are more like academically known, uh, not <laughs> outside of the academic wor- world. Um, but he's from Florence, which is my dream city that I still haven't been to. One of these days. <laughs> One of well, these after days. we go to, after or before Hagia Sophia. Either way is fine with me. We we'll have a what is it, a biwap vacation series yes. in which all we do is cry in front of art historically relevant monuments. Uh, isn't that the dream? It'll be a really compelling YouTube channel. Keep an eye True. out for it. True. We we can make that work. <laughs> Florencia. Florencia, God. indeed. And he was a sculptor, which was his main thing. He wanted to be sculptor, like. Well, basically, he believed sculpting was divine and uh, uh, heaven sent, and it was like personification of 
the powers that God has given people, kind of. He was very religious. <laughs> yes. yes, very religious, as, as one is in <laughs> 16th century Florence. Yep. But other than that, he was also a, uh, a painter, he was an architect, he was a poet, and he basically was around during the High Renaissance and is one of the uh, three most famous Renaissance artists of that time. Others being Leonardo da Vinci and Raphael. You know, uh, those guys. Yes, this trio, basically. They all knew each other. <laughs> and Michelangelo did not like Raphael, but we'll get into it. We'll get, we'll get into, into it. it. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, he's basically one of the best documented artists of the 16th century. He had two biographies written about himself while he was still alive, which is goals, honestly. Goals. Yes. <laughs> Uh, one was by Condivi, and the other was by Vasari. <laughs> and yeah, it's rare to have your own biography written while you're still alive, especially during that time. I just, Vasari was so in love with Michelangelo, it's almost <laughs> embarrassing. He was. He was a big fangirl. Super. Which I mean, <laughs> fair. Yeah, we all are. We all are. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, he even uh, referred to Michelangelo as heaven sent, and he said uh, that. And Michelangelo's like nickname, kind of during that time, was Il Divino, which is like the divine one. I it's yeah, just, this boy <laughs> was the the beginning, the middle, and the end for the mannerism style, and I think we're better for it, but only history can tell. <laughs> I mean, we kind of are known to insult mannerism and not, not like it at all. Listen. <laughs> but Michelangelo's is different, okay? It's just Michael's different, okay? Yes, we like him. <laughs> uh, oh, man. It's fine. It's fine. It's fine. Who'd have, who'd have thought this dear boy from Caprese? What is it? The Caprese Castigna? Casten... Tino? Casentino? Casentino? I speak Italian every so often. Mm-hmm. Um, and and the, the cool part about Michelangelo is just how, like, how young he was when he was introduced to his future profession. Yeah. He was born in Caprese Castentino, like the district of the lady Ludovico di Leonardo Buonato, Buona, Buonarotti. Buonarotti Simoni. Which, I mean, God bless Italy. <laughs> um, and soon after his birth is when they moved to Florence. Like, a lot of the great artists of Florence were never from Florence. Yeah. Don't let the Florentines lie to you. <laughs> <laughs> well, his family technically came from there. And they moved well before he was born. And then they moved back shortly after. <laughs> Yeah, it, it kind of got rough for him a little bit in that little early childhood. Bit. His yeah. mom died from an illness when he was super young. Yeah. Uh, which, I mean, is par for the course, but like... <laughs> um, he was raised by a nanny and her husband, who was a stonecutter, which is kind of how like Michelangelo picked up his trade. Yeah. Although, the really cool, interesting part, or the obnoxious 
ultra rich part is mm-hmm. the fact that his father did own a more like a marble quarry. <laughs> yep. So you know. Yep. Oh, Michelangelo was a genius. Michelangelo was a rich boy with an access to a marble quarry and a stone cutter from he like he was six years old. Come on, guys. Yep. Stop comparing. Basically. <laughs> Yeah, his father was like a banker or something. Something like that. Something Mm -hmm. like that. Like upper class. Indeed, yeah. But I mean, it's it's part of the reason why Michelangelo was able to have the success that he had, realistically. True. Because his father kind of like built him up to it as well. He was first against him being an artist and then like wanted to, once he warmed up to the idea, wanted to capitalize on it as much as possible so what his father did was put him in an apprenticeship of Domenico Girardaio uh, and told him to pay Michelangelo as if he were like like he would be paid an artist which was rare because Michelangelo was 14 at that Major time side, he was an apprentice he was he was <laughs> like uh <laughs> Um, and I mean, talk about perfect timing since like, this is the same time that the Medici family will do a whole series book on the Medici's (laughs) one of these days, Yes, one of these days, but like essentially it was, what was it? 1489 when Florenza de' Medici, who sponsored and took care of everybody in Florence, essentially, uh, she asked Ghirlandaio for his two best pupils just so he could have like in-house artists for his for his wants, needs, and art. And that's when Ghirlandaio sent Michelangelo and some other guy. Yeah. Granacci, Granacci, Francesco Granacci, who's a I mean, a fine artist. Yeah. I like his work, but um, <laughs> candles, come on, guys. <laughs> Um, and that's part of the reason where Michelangelo was rumored, is suspected to have pulled a lot of his future inspiration from, mm. from the collection of the Medici family. And through his work of painting and discovery and all this other stuff, a lot of it then later inspired or outright influenced the the future works that we'll talk about in this episode. And it's fascinating. Yeah, indeed. Oh, also, plus attending that Humanist Academy of the Medici probably didn't, you know, didn't hurt. (laughs) Did not, indeed. I mean, basically what it is, is he worked and was paid basically kind of like king status family or like royalty status family. (laughs) Yeah. He was under their patronage and they took care of him. And they provided so much resources for him to develop artistically and to develop his his style and his um, taste and everything. So, of course, he managed to reach the highs that he did later on in his life because he was, from be- the beginning, supported and backed up by such powerful people. Makes sense. It's part of the reason why you see... Medici tears on every art or art adjacent Patreon. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, gotta be a Medici, y'all. <laughs> <laughs> yep, basically. But I mean, it gets even fucking weirder 
for Michelangelo moving forward because like not only is it unheard of for the fact that he was paid artist status while he was working under um, Girondayo, but then also had an opportunity to like, like, I just, ugh. his work with the Medici was phenomenal. And then after Lorenzo de' Medici's death in 1492, and Michelangelo returns to his father's house, because I mean, who doesn't love to return home after college? <laughs> Michelangelo was then given permission, get this, to do anatomy and dissections <laughs> in the 1400s. In the church. <laughs> the, the, yeah, the Santa Spirito Church gave him permission because he was able to throw money at them. I don't fucking remember. Like, probably. <laughs> probably. I just, it makes... I think a lot of that also has to do to speak to the talent of Michelangelo, um, because what they got in return is the the polychrome wooden crucifix. Yeah, uh, I mean, of Christ Jesus on the cross, the crucifix. <laughs> but like, um, it's one of those things that, like, the 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 joke, the running joke of the Renaissance is that people had to do dissections in secrecy. That you had to like be a grave robber and do this, that, the other thing, and and here you have Michelangelo who's just like, um, let me just let me just pop this up on the altar real fast, okay? <laughs> Someone hand me a scalpel, thank you. <laughs> Insanity in yep. fucking sanity. Yep, essentially. <laughs> but that's the that's the cool thing, I think. That you see all of these little pieces clicking for Michelangelo, his ability to to get the right education, to meet the right people, to to have the right resources yeah. and a limitless f- fund of money Basically. <laughs> to throw out his education. And the, I mean, the things that he did with it are phenomenal. But but when we're tr- when we bemoaned the concept of the of the oh what's the word of the not the expert and then help me out genius. Oh, God, yeah. (laughs) When we dismantle the concept of the genius, this is what we're talking about. It's not that they didn't have talent. It's not that they weren't phenomenal artists. But none of this happened overnight. This is an entire, like, four, five, six-year adventure where he's being trained from such a young age under the supervision of master artists and and then given the opportunity to learn anatomy in an unfettered unobscured access i mean once you can put your hands on someone's liver that's it i guess for <laughs> artist status i mean yeah <laughs> apparently apparently <laughs> but that's I mean, you know yeah that's why that's the reason why he was able to make the work that he did at starting from such a young age because even like David and Pieta, he made when he was 24. Younger than me. Younger what? than me. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but I mean, yeah. the, the, the Medici's helped a lot with that. Yeah, they did. They certainly did. And he was basically under their wing until Medici were expelled from Florence because of rise of this preacher who was against them and against like art in general. And when Medici left, he left as well. But then eventually they were able to come back and he continued working for the Medici. And one of the things that he created while he was under their patronage was 
statue of St. John the Baptist. Uh, and yes. this was like a forgery, basically. They wanted to pass this statue off as being ancient work, like Greek or Roman ancient high art, basically. Be like, hey guys, listen, they believed in Christ too. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, of course they did. <laughs> Which, I mean, is such a, is so on par for the course at the time, just because of the fact that it's like, you you have probably the height of the Roman Catholic Church before having to fight dirty, filthy Protestants. I'm sorry. But like, <laughs> you you have unfettered access to religion at the time, and the ruling class is as much the the royal class as it is the spiritual class. So you have all of these like subversive techniques of, oh, well, you see, uh, here's this polychrome wooden statue of St. John the Baptist. You can tell that it's Roman because of these designs. Yeah. <laughs> also, look, the Romans, who we're either competing with or trying to aspire to be, also believed in Christ. <laughs> Yay! <laughs> Yay. But I mean, it's it's... Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Indeed. Exactly. It's good. It's it's something. <laughs> it's something. It gets fun stories like this because uh they sold this statue, the Saint John the Baptist one, to a cardinal, Raffaele Riario, yeah. which is a fun name. <laughs> Great for parties. Yep. Um they sold it to the cardinal. And he almost immediately or very quickly discovered that it was a fraud, but was so impressed with the quality of the work that he just said, you know, it's good. Hey, Michelangelo, want to come to Rome? <laughs> yeah, why not? Just come, come, come work for me for a little bit. <laughs> yeah, it's amazing that. Like, through this forgery and through this lie, he was able to land another job. <laughs> 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 and now in Rome, too. I know. I mean, this boy, this boy this keeps boy. failing up, if you, if you know what I mean. Exactly. <laughs> I think I 90% attribute it to him being quiet, handsome, and a little charming. Yeah. He was very... Uh, reserved and very like kept to himself all his life basically an introvert basically an introvert and the way that all introverts make friends or so i'm led to believe is that they're adopted by extroverts that's generally yes how it goes usually that's how i feel like it went for michael <laughs> <laughs> yes <laughs> But when he was in Rome uh, is when he was commissioned to make the Pieta, the, his first one, because he has several. And this work is just phenomenal. Hey this guys, is when... have you heard of the Pieta? You know, that, <laughs> that old thing. It's the thing he created, that, that casual work of magnificence and utter brilliance and the, the, the level of detail and craftsmanship is... <laughs> To leave you rendered speechless and to maybe make you cry. You know, that that old thing. Yeah. Yep. Hachi machi. It's, it's <laughs> incredible. And it's the only work that he signed. Yes. Which is also like 
the only one. He basically, uh, it's like, uh, it goes something like he overheard someone claiming that this, this belonged to another artist. So he was like, uh, uh-uh, uh, you can't, you're not going to take this away from me. And he etched his name into, uh, like Virgin Mary's, like the thing she's wearing over her chest. Uh, not the, not the cloak, but the, um, the, the drapery sash that one yes <laughs> the sash i'm quickly looking at the sculpture right now and just trying to <laughs> yep um but he really regretted it later and thought it was like very vain to do this and he never signed another work uh, michelangelo is such a mood yeah yeah <laughs> Very hey guys, cute. I did this in a fit of of rage and and greed and need, and also I'm 24. <laughs> yep. He also in the sculpture, it's very it's very singular because Ma- Virgin Mary looks very young because basically she, she's she's holding Christ on her lap, which is also like enlarged to fit the the body of the Christ entirely. And she looks like she's in her 20s, Max, <laughs> when her son is literally in in his mid-30s. So that, that kind of image is not seen that that much or wasn't seen before. And now it's like more uh, widespread to to represent her more younger. And that's what he did. And it's just phenomenal work, you know? <laughs> I mean, sometimes... <laughs> Sometimes you have to be the mother of a 33-year-old son. It's no big deal. We've all been there. <laughs> We've all dated men. Uh, yeah. Yep. <laughs> we'll not say anything after that, yes. You are completely right. <laughs> and that's for everyone involved. We've all done it. It's fine. <laughs> but I mean, it's the uh, it's it's that level of like, excitement um i mean the pieta is just truly magnificent and it's it's supposed to represent so much and sacrifice and motherly love which is also interesting considering the fact that his mother did die very young yeah true it is indeed uh one other story that's connected to pieta how it was damaged so it has been damaged a few (sighs) times this is just, this is just a very heartbreaking story and very and like wow. So basically, in 1972, uh, the Pieta was in its place and people were like viewing it. And there was this one Hungarian-born Australian guy, Toth was his last name. Yes, he walked up to the chapel and attacked the sculpture with a geologist's hammer as he was shouting, I am Jesus Christ, I have risen from the dead. And uh, he administered like 15 blows and he removed Mary's arm. You know, casual. casually. Casual. <laughs> At the elbow, casual. She re- he removed the arm. And he knocked off a chunk of her nose and chipped one of her eyelids. And this was like, the nose was lost forever because some of the people probably took it with them you know as one does some conservator crying in the corner no (laughs) stop as he pockets the nose yep (laughs) it was restored since then they used some of the back marble the the marble on mary's back to restore some of her facial features and 
yeah, since then it's been a in, in a bulletproof uh, glass panel, as it should be. <laughs> well, it shouldn't be, but we're, we're scared for it. It's just, sometimes you can't have nice things, and unfettered access to the Pieta is a nice thing. <laughs> yep, exactly. And I mean, he. Uh, this was not his only, but this is like, the 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 one made in this concept for the cardinal was the uh, I think is the one that's kind of assumed to be the best one just because of the fact that it's the signed work. Yeah, the the other Pieta's are more done later in his life, and some of them are either unfinished or not uh, polished entirely or like made to be that way, and they're they're also phenomenal course but this one kind of holds the spotlight usually it's also magnificent to behold inspiring beyond all words and we could do an entire episode on the pieta yes <laughs> we could um but for now we're gonna move on to his other works <laughs> because there's so much did <laughs> too much one might say one might say but we're gonna stick to like the main ones for now so we we move from rome then to Florence in, yes. four, in 1499, yep. before the turn of the century. This man lived also for an absurdly long time. Just He died quite old, yes. He was quite old, but that's besides the point. So Florence, Florence, 1499. It's a party. The plague is probably everywhere. The it's 90s. still a party. <laughs> <laughs> Michelangelo returns to Florence after the government change. Um, in 1498, there was a bit of a coup, a bit of a, a bit of a <laughs> violent finale, one might say. And uh, yep. Michelangelo is requested or is sought out to join the Guild of Wool or the Arte dell'Anna, which is a um, Florence, Italy at the time, especially, or like the 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 many states of Italy, the because. Italy proper didn't exist hmm. until very recently, actually, past 100 years. Um, well, give or take. <laughs> the city-state of Florence and Rome and this whole region operated under guilds, um, especially for arts and trades and professions. Think of unions now, but guilds then. Yeah. Um, and so the, the Guild of Wool asks him to to kind of help with an unfinished project that uh that they just had this giant piece of marble for <laughs> yeah <laughs> that's also what's really funny to me so um as as we talked about in the color that corrupts episode that covered the colors that changed history documentary hmm. carrara is a region in Italy that is still famous for the absurdly beautiful marble. Yep. Um, that comes from that region. Yeah. Very white and polished and beautiful. Just, yeah. This was the marble that was available for this project because it's a very complicated project and it's very long. So basically, they they, they wanted to design these sculptures to put on top of the uh, Duomo in Florence. And they wanted to make several ones. One of them was of David. And they commissioned first Donatello. He couldn't finish it. Then someone else, they couldn't finish it. 
And finally, they approached Michelangelo like 40 years later, like I said, and yeah, completely long process before it got to Michelangelo. And it got to him in a state of already, like the base was already started sculpting, so he couldn't like have entire control over it. It was already kind of started, but he still like used all of his creativity to sculpt the magnificent David, (laughs) the one we know and love. What happened was they realized that it was impossible to lift this statue up to the, the Duomo. So they kind of decided to vote on another place to place it at. And in this vote, they asked like 30 Florentine citizens, mostly artists, on where to place it. And in the, that choice, Botticelli and Leonardo da Vinci took part in this discussion as well, which is also interesting to know. And in the end, they decided to place it uh, outside of at the Palazzo Vecchio and in the Piazza della Signora, uh, Signoria. and. Yes. Now, there is one David there, but it's a copy. It's not the real one. The real <laughs> one, they eventually moved into the Academia Gallery. It's really fucking big. It's huge. Well, it's like three si- three times human size. It's really big. I mean... <laughs> <laughs> super heavy. <laughs> it's, uh, yeah, let me just casually put that up on Il Duomo. No big deal. <laughs> yep. It's just, it's so cool. It's the, the, and like, I mean, we have yet to cry at David's feet because one day, um, but truly the, the images to scale, uh, do not do it justice, mm-hmm. but I can only like, every time I think about the fact that, uh, we have a museum near where I live, where I've interned before, um, that has a David replica of bronze in its courtyard Hmm. and it's just magnificent truly uh shout out to the ringling but like holy hell yeah if the if replicas can look that amazing imagine what the real thing looks like i can't imagine (laughs) i mean there's a reason why we consider michelangelo to be excellent because like if at 26 Yep. (laughs) I can't, I can't. But the masterwork established his prominence as a sculptor. And that extraordinary technical skill and the strength of his mannerism, of that symbolic imagination, is why he was uh, truly just. And, And he understood, so this is also, um, as we talked about, like in the Tim's Vermeer, a lot of our favorite discussions come from the movies we watch. <laughs> Looks like <laughs> but it, yeah. But in Tim's Vermeer, they talked about how, how Baroque <laughs> artists essentially kind of used burgeoning technology to improve their work. Well, the Renaissance was almost the same in that you finally have talks of perspective and and mathematical formulas and geometry and all this other things that I cannot wrap my baby brain around. <laughs> But because of perspective and because of the the talent that Michelangelo was able to study under, he knew that because the David was going to be so tall, the exaggeration of the hand size, which I mean, bara hands, am I right, guys? <laughs> and the protrusion of the hairline is so exaggerated because it had to be visible from the street yeah. so that you could look up at David and have David look back down at you, which is like, holy hell. 
<laughs> and I yeah. mean, the, the references to works in the Medici field, uh, again, we will do probably a whole episode on David, so we won't get super bogged down on it. Yeah. But there are so many references to the, the old Medici collection in the pose, even that contrapposto, which is so, so exciting for the time. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. But it's, uh, it's in reference to Hellenistic tradition. So ancient classical antiquities where you have that relaxed pose, you have the relaxed David, and you have like sexy David, not <laughs> child David, which is also interesting because like in the David and Goliath story, which is where this David comes from, if if that's David, imagine Goliath. Am I right? Yep. Am I right, guys? Yeah. <laughs> I mean, his whole, um, I mean, we can discuss this Till the end of time. <laughs> <laughs> we will, probably. <laughs> probably. Um, but the whole, like, pose is very relaxed. And he, his facial expression is, like, he, he's basically just tensing up because it looks like he just saw the, the Goliath heading his way or something. And this is before the fight even happened, which is also, like, singular because before the other dis- uh, depictions of David by other artists have David already defeated the Goliath and like being in victory, but here he he's more ready to pounce, kind of thing, you know. <laughs> and it's glorious. like a like a cat, yes. And it's been you know it's that delicate. <sighs> it's beautiful. It's beautiful. <laughs> so <laughs> now let's get into the spicy the spicy drama that is Michael. <laughs> oh yeah. Let's, let's, I'm ready. <laughs> um, so remember, we're back in, we're in Florence, right? And uh, this is when everybody has an opinion on how Florence should be reborn. Uh, if the Renaissance is all about revival and new and sexy and exciting, <laughs> yep. um, everyone is currently in a commission in a commission's war, essentially. Mm-hmm. Everybody has money and everybody has talent and it's just a freelancer's nightmare. <laughs> or wet dream. <laughs> I have no idea. Hmm. Hmm. Um, and so d- you have Leonardo da Vinci against Michelangelo and Michelangelo against Raphael and uh, it's just, ugh. Ugh. <laughs> ugh. Um, oh, Christ. I just, I love that a lot of this drama also comes from rumors and stories that other artists talk about. <laughs> like the uh, the whole Battle of Cassinia or Cascina. It's probably Cascina, knowing. Mm. But um, how in... So, quick aside. In 1504, Da Vinci is commissioned to paint the Battle of Anghiari, which is just big, fancy Roman history painting. Easy. And it's supposed to go for the council chamber of the Palazzo Vecchio. And Michelangelo was also commissioned to paint the Battle of Cassinia. And while these two paintings were very different, it has less to do with the talent and more about to tell the story of where in the history painting. Because Leonardo depicts the soldiers fighting on horseback in this grand, fantastic scene, whereas Michelangelo has the soldiers being ambushed as they bathe in the river. We know that there was a lot of drama around this just because like the the stories being told, the narrative being told 
are are two very different like vibes. Mm-hmm. One is glorious and then one is pensive and reflective and also homoerotic. <laughs> Sorry, Michael. I can't. Um, and the only reason why we know this and the only reason why like we know that this painting, this these panels existed mm. is because we have copies. Like Rubens, our, our, our boy Rubens, <laughs> painted the, uh, or sketched, I guess. Sketched, painted? Created. Created. Uh, a replica of Leonardo's painting. Yeah. And uh, Bastiano uh, da Sangalo painted or made the Michelangelo's copy. And both works are now lost. So we only have these copies left to go off of, which is... It's good that we have the copies, but also <laughs> you don't know what these artists took away and what they chose not to not to include or what they changed in their own style. Uh, because there was a lot of influence. Yeah. You know, the 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 really manneristic style of Michelangelo kind of rubbed off on Da Vinci and Da Vinci's use of light was kind of reflected then in Michelangelo's work. Eh. And yeah. we don't know if they liked it, if there was drama around it. Like, we know that there was a little bit, but... It's, it's, it's kind of all lost. It's all lost, but the art remains. And Ish. as again, as art <laughs> historians, we will we will lay our beach towels <laughs> yeah, we on will. the history of these men. <laughs> on the butts of these men. <laughs> on the butts of these men. Especially yeah. the bathers, because Jesus fucking christ (laughs) yeah yeah um but it's it's while all of this is happening and and while michelangelo continues to get his name that in 1505 michelangelo is invited back to rome um by the the newly elected julius ii does it matter no but one of these days we'll probably do an entire breakdown of pope patronage (laughs) (laughs) um but like julius was very like julius the second literally threw money yes at at michelangelo's face not even his feet (laughs) like take my money (laughs) to make some art for me basically (laughs) um yeah but but more than anything i think the the famous one is the pope's tomb obviously yeah, <laughs> uh, because it was you know uh, a casual forty statues <laughs> and a five year contract. Yep. How much time did it take? Uh, well, actually, that's right. I I just I. <laughs> it took him like forty years, and and he basically never finished it to his satisfaction because it was just. It was so much. Yeah, because, but also during yeah. this time is when he, uh, Pope J- Julius II also asked him to do the Sistine Chapel. So he had to work on both at the same time-ish. Well, he mostly focused on Sistine Chapel when he was away. So what happened was this tomb, the the one that we see today, the famous Moses and the famous whole entire construction is not finished and is not ideal in the eyes of Michelangelo because as he was working on this one of the artists that was kind of according to uh, Michelangelo's biographer 
Condivi, uh, Bramante, the artist, he was jealous of uh, Michelangelo. He basically wanted Michelangelo to be faced with a challenge that he could not do well, or he could not do as well as he has been doing other projects. So he convinced uh, Julius II to uh, commission Michelangelo to paint the Sistine Chapel. And since Michelangelo mainly viewed himself as a sculptor and not painter, and he wanted to be a sculptor, he didn't like painting that much. Uh, when he was presented with this opportunity, he tried to refuse it as much as possible, but he could not because Pope wanted him to do it. He adamantly like insisted. And to kind of pent out his frustration, he wrote a poem about it. <laughs> do you want to read it out? <laughs> I thought you'd never ask. <laughs> it's amazing. <clears throat> I've already grown a goiter from this torture. My stomach squashed under my chin, my beard point my beard's pointing at heaven, my brain's crushed in a casket, my breast twists like a harpy's, my brush above me all the time dribbles paint, so my face makes a fine floor for droppings. <laughs> but tell me how you really feel. <laughs> but what are you really thinking, Michael? <laughs> but tell me, Simon Michael, how do you really feel? <laughs> And I mean, a lot of it was the the problems that he faced. Oh, yeah. Uh, um, just. He painted the Sistine Chapel four years. Since it's on the ceiling, he was lying down the entire time. He had terrible back problems after completing this project. But what he created, ho, 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 what he created. Mm. Um he insisted on taking like full reign and to give, uh, asked Pope to give him free reign and free, like, creative freedom to create whatever he wanted. And he chose to paint, um, basically, the creation of the world, the fall of man, uh, then the promise of salvation through prophets, and the genealogy of Christ. And what he painted was, um, should I list all of the panels? I think you should. Yeah. Just okay. so, just so everyone knows, what the hell? Yes, yeah. <laughs> obnoxious, <laughs> over overzealous young man. Yep, basically, he painted five hundred square meters of ceiling and three three hundred figures. He painted architectural pieces on the ceiling. So when you look up, you you think that the ceiling's just continuing, but it's no, it's just painted on. <laughs> Um, and the, 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 he book, he painted in the center nine, uh, episodes from the book of Genesis. And he painted these, 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 uh, panels are divided into three groups thematically. One is God's creation of the earth, the, which has three panels. One is separation of light from darkness and creation of moon, uh, sun and planets and separation of the land from the sea. This is the first, like, three. Then is the God's creation of humankind and their fall from his grace. And this is the creation of Adam, which is the most popular one uh, to this day. 
then it's the creation of Eve, it's the temptation and expulsion of Adam and Eve is the third one. And then the last three represent the state of humanity uh, as represented by Noah and his family. So one is the sacrifice of Noah, and then the flood, and then the drunkenness of Noah. And this entire ceiling is also surrounded by prophets in the in the corners who predicted that a savior was coming to for mankind. There are also, like I said, the architectural details. There are uh, the ignudi, which are like male nudes around these scenes, like the main scenes. It's it's when you it's so good. Yeah, it's incredible. Even <laughs> now, you can actually view it. If you go to the website of Sistine Chapel, you can see. Arts. Was this, was this a Google Arts and Culture I think uh, so. project? Was I it? think so. Okay. I think so. But it was like, I know, that, uh, listen, I know you can find a 360-degree tour of the Sistine Chapel anywhere, but I think Google Arts and Culture did something with this either it was their technology that helped do it or something like that yeah but you can view it and you can see uh because even when you're there you're giving a certain amount of time there's a lot of people you don't get like the full effect from what i've been told i haven't seen it (laughs) (laughs) guys Uh, michelangelo put so much work into this you have to spend more than 30 minutes looking at it okay yeah at least an hour okay (laughs) at least an hour and then come back to it and then cry and then come back to it i did that for my undergrad was was trying to write a paper on the sistine chapel and i just got so bogged down and overwhelmed that i had to change my project entirely (laughs) i was like i have no fucking idea i can't do this It's it's so much, man. It's so freaking much. And when they did like the restoration work, they cleaned the entire ceiling and it revealed colors, magnificent colors, which kind of shows that Michelangelo was not only very good with painting and like not only very good at just figural painting and figural representation but also colors it's it's so vibrant and it's so beautiful and some of the sketches that are left over of this of the Sistine Chapel and the figures that are represented in it show how he applied his um, sculptural knowledge to painting. So he added a lot of dimension to these figures. So they almost look like they are not painted on. They just they're just round sculptures. Basically, you can walk around it if you could. <laughs> it feels that way. They're so real. Um, yeah. And this is not the only thing in this in the Sistine Chapel that's fucking extraordinary, but we'll get to that in a second. That's so good. You really, I think we'll put a link to it in the uh, show notes this time. Just, we could have literally filled an entire hour with just the Sistine Chapel alone, y'all. Yeah. You know, we could have, we probably will. Probably. (laughs) Just to to really get into it because, oh man, Um, it's just the, the, it's just, this is a man who had no, fucking idea how to use fresco nope he had no idea he learned the entire time he hated every minute of it and look at it <laughs> yeah. look at it yep oh man 
Oh, man. Amazing. Oh, man. I just, oofta, oofta, goofta. But yeah. yeah. Four years. Four years. Four years. Yep. Four years. The things that I just. Of nonstop work. <laughs> I just. And not a moment too soon either. Yeah. <laughs> oh, man. So Julius, Julius, being of mortal, of mortal cloth, unfortunately, uh, dies in 1513. And uh, so, so that's one patron gone. But then Pope Leo the, the 10th, you know, the second son of Lorenzo de' Medici, son of, you know, you know, you, you know. Yeah. <laughs> um, and Pope Leo, Pope Leo is the reason why Michelangelo had to stop working on Pope Julius II's tomb hmm. because uh, he had a different mission. He had to, you know, stop stop with the the final resting ground of this other famous pope. Fuck him. Uh, <laughs> come work on the facade of the Basilica di San Lorenzo. You know, yep. in Florence. Yep. Where we're from. Florentine <laughs> buddies. <laughs> Be done with all this Rome stuff. It was so much. Uh, it's a lot. <laughs> Um, uh, this is probably the time period where we see Michelangelo being dragged along by Medici family drama rather aggressively. I think between now and his death is when he is so caught up in other people's drama and being the quiet introvert that he is and being the like the loner artist that he kind of turns into yeah. or slowly devolves into. You can see him being pulled from so many projects that this ultimately does affect him later in life. The amount of unfinished works in his repertoire kind of, I wouldn't say hurt him, but they, they do tend to, to weigh heavy on him as he gets older. Which is understandable. I mean, he was working so hard on these projects and because of other people's interference, he couldn't he couldn't finish them because so, of Medici interference. Because of Medici <laughs> interference, but don't worry, he fell out of their graces soon after. <laughs> he outlived so many of them. He did. Um, <laughs> like like Pope Leo dies in fifteen twenty one, and then a new Medici pope is brought into the mix. Yep. It's funny how that works. <laughs> Um, and then Clement the Seventh commissions Michelangelo to work on the Laurentian Library in San Lorenzo, yes. or for the San Lorenzo Church, the same one that he was working on the facade for. Uh, he designs the interior of the library and its vestibule, and this kind of not only shows Michelangelo's ability and talent and vision, but this is also seen as the front runner or the forerunner of uh, Baroque architecture. Because it is extra. <laughs> and I think that's less on Michelangelo and more on how the Medici were swinging architecturally and politically. Well, because yeah. of the fact, you know, this is around the time that you have to double down on the um, anti-reformation, like the, can the, the counter-reformation, the anti-reformation, the, the counter-reformation, <laughs> yeah. uh, which we'll probably do a whole episode on. <laughs> probably so this is many just a, a primer for all the things we're going to talk about y'all yeah. aren't all our episodes um, that way <laughs> truly and then there was another florentine rise against the medici in which michelangelo had to help the people 
by building these fortifications to protect the Medici. Yeah. <laughs> uh, thus, taking well, him away from more of his work. Well, no, basically, he didn't protect the Medici, he protect, protected the people. He helped oh, the people. Oh, I always thought that he was protecting the Medici. Well, the this is the reason why he was no longer favored by Medici after this. So he basically helps people against the raid of the Medici because they were they wanted to come back to the to Florence and he helped the people against the, uh, them basically. <laughs> but what they did uh, is they did eventually uh, the city did eventually fall. Medici were restored to power. And Michelangelo, since he was since he helped the people, had to flee to Rome to get away from the wrath of the Medici. And then he, once he went back to Rome, the Pope Clement VII, before he passed away, offered a new contract for Michelangelo, which is the one that we we said before in the Sistine Chapel, the Last Judgment, which is. Another thing, <laughs> this is basically <laughs> painted in uh, the starting from 1534 to 1541. This is yes. This is decades later than the Sistine Chapel, and it is evident in the style that yes, Michelangelo paints the Last Judgment. If you look at these two, you wouldn't think that they're created by the same person because the the new one the last judgment is more chaotic <laughs> while you the know. ceiling is so calm and so representative of like the grace of god this one is just wild to say the least <laughs> it's fun it's what are you talking definitely about fun. it's fun it's a hundred percent fun but basically what you see in this one is Christ and his ascension and heaven, like the contrast between heaven and hell. And you see this glorious, on the on the left, you see this glorious like angels going up to heaven and above there's uh, the cross where Christ is being carried. And then in the middle is Christ he, with his hand towards cross and towards heaven. and But he's looking down at hell. And on the right side of the panel, starting from the top, it's just descent into hell, uh, people's descent into hell. And it's it's just as much chaotic as you would think a descent to hell would look like. <laughs> yeah, one might, one might say. Yeah. It's, it's not how I would have imagined it, but I could imagine it that way. Yeah, yeah. Um <laughs> He even like throws in like peppers in ancient uh, Greek mythologies and like Karen, uh, Karen or Charon <laughs> and stuff like that. Not not Karen, not not, not Karen. an anti-vaxer, C H A COVID denier. <laughs> nope, not that one. <laughs> Charon. <laughs> yes. <laughs> I'm sorry, that's really funny. <laughs> the Karen. Uh, she's probably there too, probably. I, just see, I now see Kyron with the uh I just I now see him with the uh with like a 
may I speak to your manager, Bob? <laughs> well, she's probably being escorted down into hell anyways, so... I mean, <laughs> smiley face. Smiley face. It is thought that he also included himself in The Last Judgment, and it is in the face of St. Bartholomew, but not in the saint itself, but the skin that the saint is holding, because St. Bartholomew died by being skinned alive, and the skin his, he's holding in The Last Judgment is thought to have the face of Michelangelo on it. So, Anything to see his beautiful face? Uh, dramatic, to say the least. <laughs> I mean, it's a mood. Yeah. Certainly. It's a mood. It's a mood. <laughs> but yeah, this this whole um this whole representation is very mannerist. It's 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 heading there. You can see the change that Michelangelo has been been experiencing in his style. There was a controversy. Of course there was on The Last Judgment. <laughs> What happened was he painted the all the figures naked, <laughs> especially the Christ and Mary. They were naked. How dare they? Exactly dare the he? thought of other people <laughs> at the time. <laughs> and yeah, they were enraged. Like, how dare he paint paint Jesus naked? So eventually, one of uh, Michelangelo's apprentices. Uh, had to obscure the genitals. <laughs> uh, I just I love the story, or I love the the rumor, the the theory, the the proven fact. I don't even know that there's a box of dicks somewhere in the Vatican. Is there from all the statues that they neutered, essentially, oh. <laughs> or 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 made uh, respectable again? Um, and there's this story. There's like this rumor that there's this big box of just marble dicks hanging out <laughs> would be hilarious I, it would be believable too true true <laughs> do you think they would keep them i think they'd have to it's a part of like noble and and dignified work <laughs> the marble the marble cost alone is worth keeping it yeah that's that's true that's true <laughs> oh amazing but oh, yeah man last judgment <laughs> chaotic amazing um oh, man and then there was the basilica yes there are so many artists who have contributed to saint peter's basilica it's it's like to, it was to replace the the const the, the, the constinian constantinian basilica of the fourth century this is this is the kind of architectural story that makes sense to me not the five years of the hagia sophia <laughs> but essentially just like it was the the Constantinian Basilica of the fourth century that had been underway for fifty years, and in fifteen o six, so some forty years prior, the foundations had been laid for Bramante's plans, essentially, yeah. and uh, this whole grand concept of the basilica. <laughs> and and Michelangelo did a ton of architectural work for this project in fact i think he did it until his death yeah right something like that he, yeah. he was essentially commissioned in 46 and he died in 64 yeah so between this and all the other projects that he was forced to come back to again and again and again he was very busy and very deep and romantic i'd 
Um, but essentially, like, he took these plans and and tried to do the design for the St. Peter's Basilica. That was kind of like his role in it. <sighs> and the design that we see now is not per se completely Michelangelo's, but it is on the basis of his work. Because Brunelleschi, I think, finished that dome. And, yes. Yeah. Without telling anybody how he did it, which is peak <laughs> petty energy. Love him. We should do an episode about him, too. <laughs> we absolutely have to. All the great Florentines will probably get a... Anyone Vasari was horny for, I guess, is probably going to get an episode. <laughs> yeah. Vasari himself, too, eventually. Yeah, and this and uh, the library are kind of very good examples of how talented uh, Michelangelo was, even in architecture. So this man could do amazing frescoes, could do phenomenal sculptures and also could design architectural buildings and it's amazing i wouldn't say genius but (laughs) i would say phenomenal but yeah like we said he was built up to this all his life he honed his craft for decades all of his life starting from the age of six of course he reached highs that other people might not have or other people took more time to he was uh supplied with every opportunity and he uh took all that was given to him worked on it and developed something that was incredible And in the end, I think, like, uh, the amount of money he would have made out of everything, it, it would be, in today's money, something like $30 million-ish. Ish, he was yeah. very rich. But, <laughs> like he said, he always lived like a poor man, in spite of all the money that he had. He Even, even at some point, like... I think after his death, they had to tear off his clothes because he never showered and like yeah. his clothes were stuck to him. He was just a, a bizarro and fantastico <laughs> human being, a, a, a true yeah. recluse, a, a feral human being, the, the peak artistic. <laughs> I'm sure if he was offered the opportunity to uh, get lost in Uh, like the woods or find a very good cave and work on his art for the rest of his life he would take it (laughs) if he could take his boyfriend he absolutely would have oh definitely (laughs) he just needed pieces of paper to sketch and write sonnets on and uh and some hot men to to come visit and that's it (laughs) yep he wrote over 300 sonnets (laughs) 300 it's insane. Uh, the longest sequence which displayed the the deep romantic feelings was for uh what was it Tommaso de, del Cavalieri who was a, a hot 23-year-old twink who was super <laughs> into all of Michelangelo all the time. This was like this is the uh the his little side piece his 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 domestic life partner essentially until his death. Yeah. Or until Michelangelo's death who like no, who died first? Was it uh didn't Cavalieri die first? Uh I'm not sure to be honest. I think so because then Michelangelo was still with the uh was with Delbracchi. Yeah, I'm not sure. <laughs> I'm going to say until until Cavalieri's death okay. because um because then in 1542 Michelangelo meets um Cecchino Delbracchi who dies a year after they meet 
felt like Michelangelo wrote a 48-page funeral, like 48 different funeral epigrams for this man. Of course so. he did. <laughs> <laughs> uh, of course he did. <laughs> yeah. Um, and a lot of the fact, because guy pie, <laughs> because hashtag bro code and hashtag gal pals is, uh, is good enough to... Uh, to blatantly oversee and overlook homosexuality, I suppose. Yeah. Um, And because of homophobia, uh, a lot of people, especially historians, especially art historians, like there's been just academics in general and the lay public uh, blatantly avoid the fact that these poems are homoerotic. Yeah. Um, In fact, his Michelangelo's grandnephew published a lot of the poems later in life uh, with the pronouns changed. So if they were to, to, to men or if they were masculine, this is Italian. So if it, if it was masculine gender, then it was just switched to feminine. Mm-hmm. And it wasn't until, until 1893, essentially that a John Addington Simmons, which I think was an English uh, author, writer, poet, da, 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 one of those Renaissance men <laughs> um, translated them into English and restored the original genders, which is how we know that these were almost exclusively written for dudes. Also, have you seen Michelangelo's men? Like <laughs> and women, they're men. And women, <laughs> the women are men, and the men are even men. They're all men. All Michelangelo wanted to do was look at hot dudes all day and paint. Yes. And skulls. Like, uh, let, a, let a boy live. Let a boy <laughs> live. <sighs> but I mean, there's a lot of drama too. Just to, to end it on the, the Raphael spice that we promised. In 1542, Michelangelo blames the tension between him, himself, and Julius II on the envy of Bramante and Raphael where he said that Raphael, <laughs> this is my favorite, all that he had in art, he got from me. <laughs> okay, buddy. Okay. Sure. All right, Michael. <laughs> uh, it would be a very different Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles if we would have this kind of level of drama. I'm just saying. But then their meeting was also amazing. Like the first time they met, um, according to uh, one of the, historians i guess mm-hmm. according to lomato he when they met uh R- michelangelo and Raphael, R- michelangelo was alone and Raphael was with a bunch of people checks out yeah <laughs> and afterwards michelangelo commented that he thought he had encountered the chief of police with such an ensemble <laughs> and Raphael replied to that that he thought he had met an executioner as they are wont to walk alone. Damn. Damn. That's the... It's it's essentially such a fun little witty snap, like clap back. Just. <laughs> There's also like a theory that Raphael um, got a glimpse of the Sistine Chapel as it was being painted. Um, yes. Before it was unveiled to the public and he was... He was a nosy bitch, so yeah. I believe it. <laughs> Indeed. And at the time, they were working on the same building in different rooms. So 
He just hey, Michelangelo. Can, uh, can I? Are you? Are you busy? Are you busy, bro? <laughs> and yeah, he was of, of course breathtaking. Raphael is a fuck boy, but I love him very much. He he is a fuck boy, but yeah, he just even that, uh, he even yeah. painted Michelangelo in uh, the rooms in one of the rooms next door. Isn't that like our one of our best portraits of Michelangelo? Yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> yeah uh <laughs> but that's a huge honor to include him in his work i think especially I since mean, that work was like focused on ancient greek philosophers and like extremely yeah. uh, talented and smart people for all of their for all of their spicy drama a lot of it was also done out of immense love for each other oh. like they they did majorly respect the other's work. Yeah, they would deny it to hell and back, but yes, they oh, to hell and back. Did. But the 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 way that they acted and the way that they like the the fact that they could never be good friends, I think, uh, has a lot to speak about like political drama more than well and personalities. Raphael, as we'll eventually talk about, is like. Is a fuckboy, is a is a frat guy, is a party <laughs> pleaser, is a <laughs> Yeah, essentially. Is a man about town and Michelangelo is just a sweet baby uh, sweet baby introvert queer. I mean <laughs> yeah. he he was doing his best and living his best life. Also exactly. suffering. Also suffering <laughs> AF. Also suffering. <laughs> but but what we're trying to say is that these men were so human. And so relatable and so funny. Yes. <laughs> yes. These were these were deeply sensitive and very poetic and very capable artists. Yeah. And and that is the legacy that I think is what keeps us um, besides the technical ability alone, because holy shit. But like the ability, the talent, the human aspect of these works. Or what keep us coming back again and again and again. Yeah. <sighs> Essentially. <sighs> I love it. I love it so much. I love you. This has been awesome. This has been very entertaining indeed. It's a bit of a long one compared to our recent ones. But <laughs> I think it's been a while. It's, it's been, been a while. And it's it's hard to it's hard to kind of like keep an episode on Michelangelo of all people super short. And we tried. This is already very short. We and then it was like, I don't know how things. we're going to do this. And I was like, uh. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. But yeah, thank you so much for doing this as well. And thanks for, so much for listening. Guys, thank you so much. Um, we know that everything's kind of a heck and that the world's uh, not doing great. Smiley face. Smiley face. Um, but we we care about you muchly. We, we want you to be okay. We want you to be safe. We want you to quickly pull up Google Arts and Culture and just get lost. Who's your favorite Renaissance painter? Who's your favorite Renaissance man? Let us know. Uh, give us, send us some DMs. We're, uh, we're always keen and interested in hearing back from you guys. Yes, we are. And <laughs> make sure to check out our Instagram at BYWArtPod. And our Twitter on BYWRPod. You can also email us at BYWRPod at gmail.com. And of course, you can check out our Patreon. Um, it's the ooh, best ooh, way ooh. to support us if you like the work we are doing here at BYWAP. Come say hi. And wash your hands. And don't touch your face. 
And remember. And guys, remember. When in doubt. Teddy out. (laughs) (laughs) Thanks, guys. Thanks. Bye. Bye.